Welcome to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. I'm Amanda. And I'm Elizabeth. Thanks for joining us today. Welcome back to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. Harvest is kicking off across parts of the state. I know some of you are further away than others, but it's all going to get here before we know it, it seems like. Summer just flew right by. Right now, we've got, for the most part, some pretty good weather conditions, some rain here or there, so things are drying down, and those that aren't going, it's going to be here soon. So with us today, I know we've got some special concerns coming into harvest season with the year that we've had. So with us today, we've got Jason Hartshoe, an extension educator in Crawford County, and Will Hammond, one of our brand new guys down in Pike County. He's the extension educator there. And so they're going to talk to us about harvest considerations with the season we've had. So welcome, guys. Thank you, Elizabeth. Thanks, Elizabeth. All right, Jason, we'll start with you. This year, 2019, has been incredibly challenging. We were planted late. Um, You know, we started off really wet, and now it's gotten pretty dry around the state for the most part. What issues are we expecting going into harvest this season? Yeah, this is going to be an interesting year. I mean, if we look at just what's been harvested so far, uh, the issue they're facing right now that we can't do a lot about is actually grain coming in at a lower moisture because it's been so, it's been a drought, it's been hot and dry, soybeans are drying quickly. So that's a challenge right now, but really looking ahead, things are going to get a little bit more challenging. In corn, we have variable we had variable emergence, then we had wet spots and areas that dried better. So we have a lot of variability out there in stalk size, ear size, soybeans. Some of them are potted down a half inch off the ground, um, all due to this moisture challenge we've had this year. And then things that got planted late, just depending when that frost comes in, we're going to have some issues potentially with a crop that is killed by a frost instead of actually reaching typical physiological maturity. Yeah. So, I mean, I know I've been driving by fields where, you know, there's beans that are still almost completely green, just dropping leaves and other beans that are, you know, look like they're about ready to go. And, and same thing with corn. The variability is really high this year. Um, that along with, you know, the concerns of some of this lower test weight for things that have kind of petered out with the drought, with the drought we've been experiencing. What are just some general suggestions you have for, for setting your combine? Because we know that those settings aren't going to be as easy to find the right ones and not nearly as forgiving as they would be in a normal year. Right. If we want to look at corn first, um, there's going to be, there's a lot of different general settings on that machine. You're going to have to work through really corn starts up at the head about two thirds of losses come from header loss. And that happens right there on the head. There's two major settings to look at. First, you have your deck plate settings and trying to get those to match that stalk size out in the field. And that's going to be a variability issue. If you have hydraulic deck plates and you're, there's manual adjust and also automatic adjust hydraulic deck plates, the manual ones you're going to need to be trying to adjust those as you go throughout the field to maximize that combine's performance. Because where we had proper moisture, where it dried out well, the corn's doing good in those spots of the field, we're going to have a larger stalk diameter. The ideal setting for that area is going to be to take a stalk, find the third node, and run that put that into your deck plate with the combine off, of course, and you want about a sixteenth of an inch of gap beside that third node in the deck plate. That's going to allow that stalk to be pulled through, and it's going to minimize the chances of ears getting lodged and having increased butt shelling. The problem is when we get into some of this either moisture-stressed or drought-stressed corn, that stalk's going to be maybe two-thirds the size of those big healthy stalks. 
And then you're going to have those stalks getting pulled through. The deck plates are going to be too wide, and you're actually going to get ear pinching within the deck plate, which increases that butt shelling and harvest loss up at the head. And this year, we're going to need every one of those precious kernels to make it into the combine. So if you go out on your machine and you can put a couple gauges on there, pull an ear, pull a stalk, not an ear, from areas that are healthy in the field and then those areas that were water stressed and see what that size is, match those to your deck plates and put little marks on your gauge. That'll help you know where to adjust it to. Um, if you have manual adjust deck plates, it may be a year where you're going to narrow, need to narrow those up a little bit. You don't want to go too much because when deck plates are too narrow, you end up breaking off a lot of that fodder and it goes into the machine, which is going to cause threshing problems later on as we go throughout each step of the combine. Um, the other thing to watch for is to match your gathering chain speed to ground speed. If you're running about four miles an hour, that usually would put your gathering chain speed at about 55 revolutions per minute so that those match. If those chains are too fast or too slow, what you end up with is you're either, when they're running too faster than the combine, they're ripping those stalks into the head so you end up with more trash. And if they're running too slow, you can actually see stalks getting pulled out by the machine instead of being pulled down through. So you can get root balls and everything getting caught up and plugging your stock rolls. And then as we move on into the machine, uh, into the threshing area, a, a general setting for corn, and this is another one of those variation issues this year, is that you want to set that rotor to concave clearance one to two millimeters wider than an ear. So if you shelled that ear off and you put the cob between the rotor and the concave, that cob should have one to two millimeters of space so that it can flow through easily and you're not breaking a lot of cobs, uh, which is kind of one of those things that we're going to have another issue with that we have poor cob strength this year. And in wet corn, uh, the higher harvest moistures, you always have that softer cob and it breaks easier. So getting that concave set right so you're not grinding those cobs will be pretty important. As we move on back throughout the combine into the shoe where we're doing the cleaning of the grain, a general starting on sieves is about five-eighths of an inch and then opening those up as you get into wetter corn because the kernels are usually swollen more. You may need to close them down just a little bit and dry corn or on that corn that dies because of frost because the kernels are actually going to be a little bit shriveled on them. They won't be as large potentially to get that part right. But a lot of times on corn, we actually lead that bottom chaffer sieve, the bottom sieve all the way open. We want that corn to flow down through. As long as we're doing a good job on the top settings, that lets more air come through when the bottom's completely open and we aren't gonna overload our returns elevator that way. This is one of those years that if you've got a new combine that is able to help you set those settings up correctly, that would be really helpful. I know I just kind of guess and guess and go and see what it looks like coming out into the into the hopper sometimes. Yeah, I think we're going to talk about harvest loss here a little bit later, but uh, it's also one of those years to use your tattletale monitor, get that calibrated, and then check on the ground, but then adjust it some so that you keep your machine working properly in all those variable conditions. Yeah, the the fun just continues with 2019. Let's go ahead and talk about harvest loss. Um, that's something I know down in my neck of the woods, bean moistures especially are already getting pretty low for September. You know, we're seeing sub 10% moisture in beans coming off the field already. 
and we know that it it can be pretty challenging to get those beans into the grain carts when we get to moistures those that low. So Will, do you have any recommendations about determining what your harvest loss is and trying to maximize the amount of the crop that's making it to the bin? Yeah, Elizabeth, we've been seeing the same thing uh, in my area too. Uh, guys got variable planting dates and some of that early stuff is just really dried down, you know, sub 10 and that creates a lot of challenges. Uh, when you look at soybean harvest, about 80% of your harvest loss is going to come up front with a header. Um, that's going to be the first part of the machine making contact with the plant. And if, if beans are really dry, it can create a lot of issues with shattering. Uh, to give you a reference, you're, you're looking at about four soybean seeds per square foot equates about one bushel of loss per acre. Um, so there's obviously an acceptable range. The machine's not perfect. Uh, so anywhere like at 3% or less, of your yield is acceptable. So you're talking one to two bushels to the acre. Um, and that number can be you know, drastically larger uh, if you're not kind of paying attention and make sure you have proper adjustments or kind of doing things as best practice uh, in the conditions. So you can see loss up to 10%. So you know, you're talking five, six, seven bushels to the acre and that's, that's a lot of money you're leaving in the field. Uh, kind of the, the best thing to start with on the header is make sure you're using that floating feature. You don't have it locked up. Uh, so it's sitting as low to the ground as possible. Um, it kind of allows the header to flex as you're going across some uneven areas, uh, but making sure that you're using that uh, to the full advantage. Um, drapers, especially now the technology do a nice job of that. Uh, they're cutting down there like that one, two, three inch area, depending on how uneven the ground is. Um, but really, if you know you've got an area where there could be some potential issues, maybe it's lodging or, or beans are really short, so you have pods really low on that plant, slow the combine down a little bit. Um, just a half a mile an hour to a mile an hour can really uh, reduce that loss by giving the machine to kind of flex through those areas or, or get through the, the spots where beans can be problematic. Um, another thing when, when beans are dry, you want to try and keep uh, your settings on the reel and your cutter bar section sharp. Uh, and if you have an auger type head, have those kind of clearances lower. Um, so that way you can really pull those beans into it and cut them properly. Um, versus like just pulling them off. Like Jason talked about, you can pull them out of the ground and have root balls or, or things get caught between the guards and sections as well. Um, as it's kind of feeding that material into the machine, uh, you want to make sure you have your reel operating at the correct speed. Um, so I say about 25% faster than the machine's actually traveling. Um, that way it gives the machine to pull those beans into the header uh, and cut them off uh, versus just pulling them out of the ground or kind of just breaking them off. But then you could leave pods that are you know, still on that lower part of the stem uh, that don't get gathered into the machine. As you move in and through the machine then, once that material is being processed, uh, it's kind of a good idea to start with the basic settings uh, the machine has. You know, everyone's running different machine, different years, um, but kind of look in the grain tank. That's, that's a good identifier. You know, if you're getting a lot of cracked beans or things like that, maybe open it up a little bit so there's not as much grinding going on. Uh, that can be really problematic when your beans are really dry. They're a lot more susceptible to the mechanical nature of the machine, uh, to splitting. And also, if you start noticing more hauls or unshelled uh, beans that are still in the pods, maybe tighten that down a little bit in your concaves or speed up your rotor or cylinder, uh, which will give that machine more revolutions to thresh out those beans that might be a little wetter in a wet spot or as you get later into harvest. Kind of the best way to check this is as you're going through the field, if you kind of find a good point where it's pretty uh, representative of the area, stop a machine, get out, and measure that. So you stop the machine where you're at, uh, when you get out of the cab, any of that area from behind the header to the back of the machine is going to be header loss. So 
do that 12 inch by 12 inch square, uh, count the beans in that area. And if it's less than four uh, or five or six, you're doing pretty well. And then go back behind the machine and where you can look at total loss. So that's machine, the header loss plus what's been thrown out the back of the machine. And it kind of gives you an idea of you need to make an adjustment from that as well. Uh, and do that multiple times to kind of get an idea where you're at and you can make adjustments based off of those. Measures. That's really helpful. I know I'm going to repeat this again. This is one of those years that, you know, stopping and checking to make sure that the, the grain that's making it into the grain tank, one, that it's making it into the grain tank, the majority of it, and, and two, the quality of that grain making it through the machine so that we're maximizing both the, the yield that we're getting and the quality of that grain that we're, we're putting up this, this fall. Variability is another word. I think we've, we've said it between the three of us quite a bit already in this, in this episode. Um, it's not just picking which field is ready this year. That other challenge is, is trying to create a harvest strategy because there's also a lot of variability in the quality and the standability of those crops. I know in some fields, depending on planting date and a lot of fields, um, we came up short on nitrogen in corn. And so we see that plus some of the disease pressure we've seen really affecting stock quality. And that's going to, as fall progresses, really change the harvestability of some of these crops. So Jason, what recommendations do you have for going out and helping determine which fields need to be harvested sooner based on their potential for going down this fall? Yeah, thanks to cannibalizing and then some stock diseases and things just because of the growing year, we're definitely going to see increased lodging the later we go into fall, the longer those corn plants are standing. Um, hopefully we don't have any of the late season hurricanes come up or anything that have caused a lot of problems in previous years because nobody really wants to have to put a reel on the corn head. Um, that just takes fall harvest from slow to a major pain in the major pain. So there's a couple things to do as you start scouting and developing that harvest strategy. It's really not just about grain moisture. Sometimes it'll be better off to actually harvest that higher moisture field in order to make sure we don't have lodging issues, plants aren't breaking off, ears aren't falling off at the shank. Uh, so some things to check, there's really two different tests we talk about. One's called the squeeze test, where you go out and you check the inner node um, on multiple plants and you'll take your thumb and finger and you'll squeeze them and it shouldn't fall, you shouldn't really be able to compress that corn stalk. If that corn stalk just squeezes really brittle-like, that's a field you're going to want to put early on your harvest order, even if the grain isn't as dry as another field, just because that stalk's getting brittle and can fall over easily. Another test to predict lodging is called the push test. It's fairly simple too. Basically you go out and you push on the stalk at ear level and you'll push it over six to eight inches. If the stalk breaks between the ear and the lower nodes, that's a pretty good sign that there's stalk rot issues. And as long as that plant's reached physiological maturity, that's one of those fields you want to start harvesting promptly and before maybe a drier field. So physiological maturity is technically 35%, but really if it's reached that 30% or less and you can go out and push on that stalk and push it six to eight inches and it breaks off, that's gonna be time to think about moving that one up and harvesting it soon, even though it's gonna take maybe a little more drier gas than what a drier field might. Thanks, Jason. So the, the next issue, I know a lot of our fields were planted late this, this spring. And as we move further into October, the chance of frost increases. So if we do end up getting a frost in some of these later planted fields, what are some recommendations for getting those crops off if they're you know, killed off early and don't actually reach maturity? 
so soybeans, um, as of right now, hopefully the weather forecast is that's not going to be an early frost. Now we can't control that, obviously, but that's the prediction today. Um, but if we do get a frost with those late planted beans and it ends up killing them, there's a few things to consider. Uh, first of all, you, harvesting soybeans should be done at 16% moisture or less. Uh, for a couple of reasons, it helps with uh, storage, but also the machine uh, being able to thresh it out without having too much damage. Um, but if you have a frost killed bean, you can run into a few different issues. Um, pods can become more challenging to uh, thresh out because they didn't reach full maturity and they didn't get kind of brittle around the edges. So they're still maintaining that moisture in that pod. Um, you can see some more lima beans and the green soybean um, before it dried down enough. So that could be more shriveled, uh, making it harder to uh, retain that through the machine. So you might have more loss out, out the back of the machine versus up front. And so if you're seeing this kind of happen and you have a, a frost kill on your beans, you want to make sure you're kind of looking in that grain tank, like I mentioned earlier, um, seeing what's up there. If you've got a lot of some pods in there, which would be common, you want to make sure you're increasing your rotor speed uh, to be kind of more aggressive when it's threshing those pods out to make sure it gets the, the pods open and gets the beans out. Um, however, if you start seeing you got a lot of cracked or smashed beans in the tank, then you might know it's a little too aggressive and kind of either open the sieve up a little bit or you want to slow that rotor down just a hair. And just find adjustments when you're doing this. You know, don't crank it all the way up or all the way down. So just a little bit one way or another could be helpful. Um, just keeping an eye on that grain tank. Uh, but then, so if you're, you're getting into some wetter beans, you know, 18%, you're going to be really pushing your, your luck on trying to harvest those beans effectively. Um, you're going to end up with a lot of damage, but if that's what you have to do, kind of uh, consider drying them. And if you're going to be drying your soybeans, which I know a lot of producers don't do, uh, there's some precautions to take. So you need to have a lower heat than you would do with corn. It's, it's quite a bit different operation, really, uh, because if you get the heat too high, uh, you're going to damage the soybeans um, by burning them. Uh, but you're also going to cause that seed coat to crack, which will lead to splitting. So as it's going through that dryer system and then on into the bin and then even unloading it later uh, in this fall or winter or next spring, you're going to see a lot more splitting um, due to that being too hot. So you're going to have a lower temperature and then also a higher relative humidity. Um, so really uh, above 40% uh, helps reduce that cracking on that seed coat, uh, which then can help retain that quality. Um, and then also help it store longer uh, in the bin. Uh, however, storage of soybeans, especially if they're wetter like that, can be limited. Um, you know, if you're taking off 18% beans, you, you want to try and get them dried down, but you don't want to spend too much money. So if you're trying to take, you know, four to five points out of those, so dry them down to 13%, uh, that's, pretty that's pretty good for a six-month storage. You start getting beyond that, you can see more rot uh, or damages. Um, and then drying it down to 12% really helps you get to that 12 months or year storage, uh, which kind of gives you more flexibility if you want to sell grain later uh, next year. Um, but really, you know, drying them, you know, too much could be a problem, but to, if they're wetter, drying them down 1% to 2% uh, lower than that recommended could help you out with these frost-killed beans to try and help maintain their quality um, through storage. Uh, so something to be cautious of uh, if you're going to dry your soybeans, uh, you want to kind of monitor that dryer pretty closely to make sure you're, you're not damaging too much, but you're getting them dry enough to be able to get effective storage. Jason, do you have any recommendations on the corn side of things? Yeah, so corn's a little bit more forgiving about frost kill than what soybeans is, um, but there are definitely some challenges 
we're going to be looking at. Test weight on frost-killed corn is usually lower, and also you're looking at a much higher moisture harvest. If it's frost-killed, that means that when that plant died, it was 35% or higher grain moisture, and at that time in the year, you get very slow field drying. So you're going to be harvesting that crop at about 35% most likely. So you're going to really have to watch those internal settings on the combine. You're going to need to make sure that your rotor is open wide enough on the concave so that you're not breaking that cob. Cobs are very soft at that 35% grain moisture and they break easily. And also we're going to have to watch then those larger wet kernels as they move throughout the machine. Everything is heavier, even though test weight will be poor. At initial harvest, things are heavier moving through. It's much easier to overload both the return elevator and the clean grain elevator on those machines. And when you get to drying, it's going to be a much slower process to dry that crop. So it's going to slow down your harvest operations. So the last thing I want to spend some time talking about for this episode is looking at making sure that we're also collecting high quality yield data under these challenging conditions. Um, we know that there's a lot of variability out there and that yield monitors don't do that well when they're faced with a lot of variability in moisture and test weight in these crops. Um, so making sure that you have good calibrations and you're checking the accuracy of your calibration throughout this harvest season is gonna be incredibly important. Um, if you have a multi-point yield, multi-point calibration, make sure that you're harvesting either at different speeds to get that good calibration or at different flow rates to make sure that you are accurately representing the variability that you are going to see across these fields. Uh, and then if you are getting into fields that are high moisture or different test weights, I do recommend recalibrating if you're planning on using this data in the future. One last thing talking about yield data, with this variability, there is going to be some artifacts left in yield maps, so data cleaning is going to be more important than maybe in a typical year. Um, if you have any sort of information like aerial imagery or scouting notes, that's going to help you identify spots of high variability that's going to be blended out and masked in your yield maps this fall. Um, Jason or Will, do you have anything else to add on, on those points? Uh, just a little bit on moisture, especially if you're changing fields or your harvest gets broken up because your planting dates are so far apart. Uh, recalibrating when you get in those high moisture areas or high moisture changes can be really important to get accurate data. And more on the soybean side than the corn side, but when you start harvesting these high moisture crops, a lot of times you end up with gumming within that moisture sensor. So every morning making sure you're pulling that sensor apart, cleaning it out so you don't have that gumming factor if you're ever running and your moisture all of a sudden starts running exactly the same the entire time. That's a pretty good sign that you need to stop the machine, get out and check that moisture sensor and make sure it hasn't gummed up or there isn't something blocking the grain from flowing into it properly. Yeah, excellent, excellent advice guys. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Make sure you keep an eye on the corn newsletter and subscribe to that. We're gonna have some articles coming out throughout fall to help keep you up to date on what to be looking for as this harvest season unfolds. And with that, thank you guys, have a great day. Thank you for having us, Elizabeth. Thanks for having us, Elizabeth, appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. Join us again in two weeks for our next episode.